Please join us as we discuss the pilot episode of Bewitched. I, Darren, take this witch, Samantha. Bewitched, bothered and bewildered, am I? Hi, I'm Molly. Hi, I'm Frank. So this is our inaugural episode of Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered where we're going to be examining sitcoms from the mid-60s that have a magical or supernatural element because they're very beloved by us. Those will include shows like Bewitched, The Addams Family, The Munsters, and I Dream of Jeannie. We're starting with the bust, which is Bewitched, and we're starting right at the beginning. Molly, why don't you say a little bit about the first time that you watched Bewitched, how old were you, and what did it mean to you? I am the biggest fan of Bewitched. Bewitched premiered in 1964 when I was three years old. I am not really sure when I first saw it. It was an integral part of my early childhood years. It was my favorite show, always from the beginning. I always had Bewitched, and I always knew all the episodes. (laughs) So as far as I know, I started watching when my parents wanted me out of their hair and put me in front of the television at three years old. You were watching it live while it was being broadcast on TV, or were you catching reruns? I definitely have watched thousands of reruns of Bewitched, but I'm sure that initially I saw some episodes live. Too little to remember most of it, though. I watched it entirely in reruns, probably starting around 1975 on WNEW, and it came on at 7.30 at night, right after I Love Lucy. And I remember looking forward to I Love Lucy ending so we could start watching Bewitched. We always ate dinner very, very late every evening because my father always worked late. And so Bewitched was always part of an evening ritual before dad got home to have dinner. I don't have as clear a memory of that about exactly what time of day I watched it or when I watched it. I assume that when my mom and dad were having their evening cocktails, much as Darren and Samantha did, that they popped on the television and put the children in front of it so that we wouldn't bother them. I didn't really like I Love Lucy. I never did. How did you feel about it? Did you like Lucy? It was one of those many shows that I watched just as a slack-jawed kid. I think there were a bunch of shows that maybe my older brother was really into, like My Three Sons. I think I kind of liked Family Affair, but Bewitched was definitely one of the reruns that I felt more attuned to. And I think, honestly, without jumping ahead into any heavy themes, I think it had a really queer sensibility, at least to my young gay mind. I just liked the magical lady. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's what I liked about it, that girls could be powerful and have magical powers. I think there's a lot of proto-feminism at work in Bewitched. It is a real break from what a lot of sitcoms from that time period were displaying as an ideal woman and certainly a homemaker. I think that's true. That said, watching these old episodes is very challenging to my feminist sensibilities. Things that I remember really loving about the show when I was young are a little hard to take. So without getting too far ahead, especially an episode 
episode coming up that we're going to do that I think is going to be fun to talk about. Do you want to go ahead and start talking about the pilot episode? Yes. So the pilot starts with Darren and Samantha meeting. Once upon a time, there was a typical American girl who happened to bump into a typical red-blooded American boy. Oh, red-blooded, <laughs> red-blooded. They bump into each other, and they keep bumping into each other over and over again. One wonders later in the show what Samantha was doing in the ordinary mortal department store, which seems to be where they were bumping into each other. But they started bumping into each other, and then they started necking. Pretty sexy stuff for that time, too, I have to say. I suspect that Darren is a lifeless kisser. But yeah. but yes, yes, they, they do a lot of smooching. Yeah, the smooching uh, that's supposed to be really hot and heavy does not, you know, what ups. But I was a little tiny girl then. I didn't care. They were kissing, and that was probably all that mattered. And then they got married. And when the boy found the girl attractive, desirable, irresistible, he did what any red-blooded American boy would do. He asked her to marry him. They had a typical wedding but I thought, well, nobody was there because nobody's parent was there. Nobody they, seemed to know about it. Exactly. But, they essentially elope. Right. So then we pick up in the honeymoon suite. That is when Samantha's mother, Endora, one of my favorite characters who couldn't love Endora, finds out that Samantha has been involved with this mortal. She's quite shocked about it, really. This is where you really get into the fact that it seems like it's kind of a, a race relations show. It's almost as if she's gone out and married a black guy. That is a really good observation. The idea of a mixed marriage gets sort of inferred and then really explicitly addressed when we finally meet Samantha's father later on. When They actually use the term mixed marriage. And that can be taken a bunch of different ways. You have to put this all into the context of 1964 there are two white people getting married, so the idea is maybe an intercultural, possibly interethnic, more scandalously possibly interreligious, but interracial is definitely invoked with the words mixed marriage. It's a pretty hot subject. Definitely, and it's obvious that Endora doesn't think of Darren as a real living being. She's happy to turn him into a bullfrog. That's what she threatens, yes. Mm -hmm definitely just seems like a ridiculous dalliance that Samantha has gotten into that she can get her out of really quickly. This entire pilot is very refreshing from the rest of the series before the series settles down into its stage sets that become so familiar, which are the Stevens' home, the Stevens' backyard, and Darren's office, and the watering hole where Darren goes to drink his sorrows away when he's confronted with a problem. Those places become staples, but it's really nice to see the actors' location shooting outside, however briefly it is. It's nice that this series opens up in this really wide-open universe before it gets very, very confined. That's true. You know, I was in the middle of a synopsis and we got off on critiquing and discussing <laughs> the episode. Do you want me to go on with the synopsis? Yeah, the yeah, please. No, I insist. Well, Endora and Samantha are talking. Endora keeps popping Darren back down to the lobby. He wonders if it's the champagne that he was drinking that is causing him to be so confused about where he is. And why is Darren drinking champagne? He's wearing his pajamas and his silk dressing gown. He looks like he's mustering up the courage to go into his bridal suite bedroom 
and learned the joys of marriage for the first time. I'm surprised at your question about the champagne because they drink at every opportunity in this show. I'm trying to think of how many actual hard cocktails they had just in the first episode. Does Samantha drink as well? I, I, I feel like the focus on the first episode is largely Darren's drinking, but... I believe that's true, but I know that when Darren takes a drink, Samantha also often takes one also. She's always mixing Darren a drink. I wasn't at all surprised about the champagne. I assume they had some earlier. Who knows? We didn't really see that. Samantha promises her mother that she will tell Darren that she's a witch. And her mother then appears to leave because she says she'll be home in no time. Once she tells him, it'll be all over. Darren comes back up and wants to go to the bedroom immediately. And Samantha says, no, no, I have something I need to tell you. I am a witch. A real, house-haunting, broom-riding, cauldron-stirring witch. (laughs) She tells him she's a witch. And he doesn't believe her. I'm from Missouri. You know what that means? What? Show me. So then she has to do her first series of tricks, which is monumental in this. We see her first little magic, which is pretty small potatoes. Oh, yeah. There's a a lot of fishing lines involved and possibly some (laughs) magnets and certainly the most basic of trick photography. Early magic tricks on the show were largely telekinesis. A little pyrokinesis when she lights a lighter for him that's failing to light. Maybe a little bit of teleportation. Everything that can be easily accomplished with just a little bit of splicing and a little bit of fishing line. I forget what trick actually finally turns it for him. Oh, I know. When she puts a straw in his drink. Oh, that's right. He asks for a straw. So he wants a Manhattan, which is a theme. Remember the Manhattan? Manhattans and martinis. Then he says, what about a straw? And there's a straw. And then he says, you are a witch. I think only a real dork would drink a Manhattan with a straw. <laughs> well, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and of course, his reaction is totally ridiculous because he reacts as if he's learned something just truly awful about Samantha. And I think it's the most wonderful thing about Samantha. And then we move into the um, parts of the episode where he's visiting people, trying to talk to them about it. He visits his bar. Mm-hmm. It's the first appearance we have of his friend Dave. Dave, who never listens to him, just talks. It's like a classic vaudeville routine, I think, of one guy talking, the other person having a parallel conversation, not listening. Yep. And then he goes to see his doctor, who recommends that he go on a vacation And then he's back at the bar, and he confesses his worries to his bartender. The bartender says, you should see my wife. (laughs) Corny jokes. Corny Corny jokes. Corny, (laughs) corny jokes. Then they have a little scene in their apartment where Samantha, looking lovely, by the way, we haven't commented on her wardrobe at all, which is very critical to me as a young girl. She's wearing a cowl neck sweater. She's sitting on the sofa, and she promises to try and be a normal wife. She says what I think is my favorite line in the entire show. I mean, you're going to have to learn to be a suburban housewife. I'll learn. You'll see. I'll learn. Now, you'll have to learn to cook and keep house Mm -hmm. and go to my mother's house for dinner every Friday night. Darling, it sounds wonderful. 
and soon we'll be a normal, happy couple with no problems, just like everybody else. And it's funny because there there is a laugh track for the entire show, but this is the funniest line, and it gets no laugh. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> of course, ridiculous. So then we cut away to Darren's office when Sheila comes in. Sheila becomes a very important character. She's actually a repeat character. Ex-girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend, possibly ex-fiance. She says that it would have been her if she hadn't gone away to Nassau. So Sheila comes into the office and invites Darren and his little bride to dinner. Very condescending. Very condescending. Sheila has some very awesome condescending remarks. Darren agrees reluctantly. He's pushed. We cut away to Darren and Samantha coming up to the house and Samantha questioning if she's dressed appropriately. Of course, Sheila has set her up to fail, telling Darren that this is going to be an informal affair where it's going to be like a picnic on their living room floor. She is dressed in an evening gown with diamonds. Her hair is done up. Uh, All of her guests are dressed in their finest. And here comes Samantha looking like she's going to spend the evening listening to beatnik poetry at a coffee shop. Except she's wearing pumps. Oh, okay. (laughs) She's wearing tiny pumps. Sheila offers to have the butler take Samantha's, and then she can't name what it is, and Samantha says, sweater. (laughs) Then dinner begins, which has a number of barbs thrown from Sheila to Samantha. I can tell you're the type who always dresses so sensibly. You know, the capable type. Oh, Darren, I bet she's good at typing, cooking, taking care of the household accounts, and playing golf. You know, all those things poor little me can't do at all. At dinner, she seats herself next to Darren and puts Samantha on the other end of the table and proceeds to flirt shamelessly with Darren. Samantha reaches a breaking point after Sheila asks her if she knows a good plastic surgeon to help her with her nose. Do you know Dr. Hafter, dear? (laughs) No, no, I don't. And then she says, um, he does great nose work. Um, She also says that she wants Samantha to meet her hairdresser, Pierre, who's great with hard-to-manage hair. Oh, yes. So the breaking point really comes when, when she says to Darren... Darren, by the way, you won't be home for dinner on Thursday because Gregor's in town and you must meet me after work to go. So she's essentially making a date with Darren that Samantha's obviously not invited to. The dinner guest sitting next to Samantha talks about how perfect Sheila is and how she never has a hair out of place, how she's always so accomplished and has everything that anyone could want in a woman. And so Samantha's first trick occurs, which is Sheila has a hair out of place. Indeed. Uh, She gets a stubborn cowlick that continually (laughs) falls in front of her face as she is flirting with Darren. She just tries to keep pushing it back. And it refuses to stay in place. And then I think the second trick might be getting food caught in her teeth and looking very unappealing to Darren. I think this is a really good moment where Dick York shines as Darren because he is such an expressive actor. In a weird way, I'm kind of reminded of Jim Carrey because he's just got a really malleable face and he's very, very, very expressive. 
He's trying to tell Sheila that there's food embarrassingly caught in her teeth. And she does take the hint. And then the third prank, uh, Sheila accidentally putting her elbow into a bowl of soup that uh, Samantha has whisked under her elbow. And then she starts to get an itchy nose. Oh, yes. And she has a huge sneeze where the back of her dress pops open. (laughs) And she sneezes soup all over the surrounding guests. And then the maid walks over and dumps a whole tray of food in her lap. And then she gets up and runs away. And then Darren, like an idiot, <laughs> says, Sheila, your bracelet. Like the bracelet is the most important thing. Like she's, Her dress fell off. And she has to have Darren go chivalrously retrieve her bracelet. And then Darren, again, like an idiot, begins to try to zip up Sheila's dress for her. Suddenly the door blows open and hurricane style winds blow on Sheila and eventually blow her wig off (laughs) and it goes flying up the stairs. Her extensions, her extensions to be fair. She has some of her own hair, but... It's called a fall. (laughs) Is that what it is? Yeah, in the 60s, it was like a little hair piece you put on top of your bouffant hairdo to make it even higher. To rat it up even higher. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. So her her fall goes flying up the stairs. <laughs> Sheila goes running away. All the guests are appalled. Samantha is sitting eating her soup, and she says, Soup really is delicious. As soon as Sheila gets down, I must get the recipe. It's good. It really is. And it's perfect. What a great, great scene. When they come back from Sheila's place, Darren and Samantha are kind of laughing about it. Mm -hmm. And Samantha says, for a while there, it was hard to tell which which was which. (laughs) I thought that was very cute. That's that's a great line. (laughs) That's a really great line. Samantha admits to Darren that she used witchcraft. And he said, well, she did have it coming to her, but I want you to stop doing this. And she said, yes, I will stop immediately. But then she has to clean the kitchen. The silver service has the polishing rag next to it to be polished. Indeed. Darren says that he'll be waiting for her upstairs in the bedroom. Mysteriously, Samantha can't wait to get up there, so she's terribly, terribly tempted to use her magic. This is where my bias, as I think every American's bias is, that no matter how charming Dick York is, none of us can figure out why she continues to subvert her power in order to please this whiny kind of (laughs) annoying man who's quite impressed with his own importance she waves her hands and the kitchen is spick and span and clean and everything is put away and she says to herself as a final capper for the episode maybe i'll try to taper off as if it was smoking or alcoholism (laughs) 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 something that no one believes will really happen But it was the 1960s, so we could laugh about addictions like that at the moment. What a great episode. Yeah, it's really one of my favorite episodes, even though it's the first, the pilot. Is it longer than the other episodes? It feels like they cover a lot of ground between that prologue where they're courting Endora, messing around with them in the honeymoon suite, and Sheila. It's got a real three-act structure, so they squeeze a lot in to an ordinary TV episode length. I mean, these these episodes are only 30 minutes. Or 25 or whatever without commercial breaks. So yeah, they're short 
short, short episodes. I don't know that I ever watched this pilot. In the many, many episodes of Bewitched that I watched and rewatched on local New York TV, this seemed completely unfamiliar with me and really memorable too. I mean, just the fact that we were going slowly through all the steps to get them to where they were going ultimately where the sitcom would comfortably reside for the duration of its eight-year run? I know that I have seen this episode before, but whether I saw it as a young child or later in reruns, I'm really not clear. I know that Sheila was familiar, but she appears later, so that may be why. Something that I wanted to say about Samantha's punishment, her escalating punishments of Sheila, is that there's nothing really vindictive about Elizabeth Montgomery. There's so much good humor about it, and part of the fact is the fact that Sheila has earned everything that happens to her. It kind of feels a little bit like Mary Poppins doling out a lesson. There's something so deserved. It's not even mean-spirited because Sheila is so awful. I think that Samantha's magic is almost always like that. And Dora, on the other hand, will put people in really in harm's way when she's upset. And we'll obviously talk about that in later episodes. But Samantha's magic is always saving the day or it's funny. And it never occurs when somebody hasn't completely deserved whatever it is that she does to them. Because she's our hero. She's our heroine. And so she always does the right thing. It's interesting that we mentioned before Darren's drinking and the fact that several times during this first season, he will retreat to a bar to talk with his buddy Dave, who only shows up in this context, or to the bartender, or with Larry Tate, his boss, who will be introduced to in the upcoming episodes. This is a place where Darren spends a lot of time. This is where a man retreats to, to the company of other men and alcoholic libations as we parse out and work through a problem. Definitely, and it always happens when he's upset at his marriage. So it's always related to some skirmish that he's had with Samantha. And at that time, when he goes to the bar, it's that he's just found out that she's a witch. We forgot to mention that he broke the fourth wall. Oh, yes. That's an interesting thing, because I, I don't recall that happening on other sitcoms in, the, in that period. It's something that commonly happens now on television. But there's a moment where he looks into the camera and says, So my wife's a witch. Every married man has to make some adjustment. <laughs> and I didn't recall that before, and I don't know that it ever happens in the series again. I'll be interested to see when we watch it again if it happens again. What it reminds me of is Sally Fields had a short-lived sitcom for two years called Gidget, where she always addressed the audience at the opening and closing with lessons learned. Uh, it was a very cheeky way of conveying information to, to the viewer. Okay, so we have to talk about wardrobe because when I was a child, she was always my ideal. Of course, she had blonde, beautiful hair, which was the opposite of my hair. You always want what you can't have. Or rather, you know, whatever you are not is what's most exotic. Yes, yes. The first scene, she's wearing, a, I think, a very memorable powder pink Jackie Onassis jacket and skirt. Oh, yes. Like a Chanel suit. Indeed. She's very fond of the Chanel suit. The other thing that is really important to me or was as a child was the negligee that she was wearing in the honeymoon suite. 
It was extremely modest. It was uh, cinched up around her neck with a giant bow. It was made of layers of what was probably nylon. But I remember as a little girl wanting to get nightgowns like that. Those nightgowns were for grown ladies and little girls didn't have, we had flannel and, you know, flowers and stuff, but that was like a grown lady, super glamorous kind of negligee. It had a, an outer layer and there was obviously a jacket that you took off and there was an inner nightgown under it. Do we actually see that inner nightgown? No, I only know it's there because I understand this wardrobe. So you may not know about it, but I know what was underneath there, which was probably, you know, just a spaghetti strap or a small strap nightgown. What we saw was the jacket that goes over it. Excellent. Of course, we should talk a little bit about uh, Dick York and his complete and utter lack of sexual charisma, for me at least, he sort of falls into that category of exasperated husband, which I feel like was its own thing during the time period. I think of uh, Tony Randall. I think of Larry Hagman. Larry Hagman, I feel like, had some sex appeal. He had some body urge. But uh, Tony Randall and Dick York are just harmless. I think the definition of hapless impotent <laughs> yes when they talk about again we'll bring up the the thorny subject of mixed marriage a lot of the times when endora speaks of it it feels more like samantha is royalty and she has married a commoner darren and his circle of friends cannot appreciate her lineage or her regal qualities and to be fair samantha is the picture of propriety, of manners. She presents herself very, very, very well, but she's putting on this act of being very humble and very simple and very sweet and subdued. But she's way smarter, way more refined and knowledgeable than anyone around her. That is going to come up a lot as we talk about this, because as a Midwestern girl, I was just enamored with the grace and gentility and sophistication of Samantha. She was amazing to me. She spoke French. She had lunch in Paris. She just was so worldly. And that was part of the witchy part of her, that she was so worldly. It feels like she's a princess who is pretending to be a commoner. Yeah, she's a sophisticate and an intellectual. And she is doing what her mom and her father ultimately think of as menial work and uh, leading a, a very grubby life. They also are amazed that she would be wooed. I think a little bit of this comes out within Dora by, uh, again, kind of an impotent, unsexy mortal When she could have had, she said, these warlocks are the worst kind. (laughs) There's something just so much more flashy out there that Samantha could have had if she hadn't settled for this commoner. Indeed. And one gets the impression that the witches and warlocks are a little bit more forward thinking insofar as we know that Endora and Maurice, Samantha's father, are not really together. They're sort of nomadic. Are they actually married? They are still married when it's important uh, in certain settings, but they clearly have an open situation. Samantha insists that she won't change her mind about Darren, but her mother says, a thousand years is a long time. I changed my mind several times. (laughs) So uh, she alludes to not being married one time. Mm -hmm. I think that's clear. 
their open marriage will be a big subject in future episodes. It's pretty funny. Though. Yeah, and it stands in stark contrast to Darren's very solid, run-of-the-mill parents who have their own problems. They'll make an appearance in later episodes as well. We should probably talk a little bit about Agnes Moorhead as Endora. We get introduced to her sneaking about, though she does not meet Darren, though she plays several pranks on him in this episode. Her appearance is quite striking. She's wearing a really spectacularly molded wig. Will we say it's a wig? Because we, we see a more understated version of her hair when she has to pass as a mortal in future episodes. And a costume, which is her uniform for her witchy moments. She also has the accent of royalty, right? I mean, in my little Minnesota girl, Minneapolis life, I thought she talked like somebody very fancy. Indeed. It's something that evokes a little bit of mid-Atlantic, Catherine Hepburnish sort of very clipped patrician East Coast upper crust Mayflower family snobby elegance, to be sure. Maurice, I think, affects something similar, but he seems even more theatrical. He seems more like a magician when he finally shows up. He reminds me of a little bit of W.C. Fields in his phony pretensions. He's always performing lines from Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. So he'll stop and perform various soliloquies. Again, in my childish way of looking at this, I thought that, that he was like a London actor, you know? Yeah. yeah. That'd be my take on him as well. And his virility and potence is never ever in question. Oh, no. He's very powerful. Oh, yes. Yes, in indeed. In every way. Oh, yes. He uh, obliterates Darren <laughs> and has to then reassemble him molecule by molecule. And when they finally meet, he is a dangerous warlock. Another thing that I really liked was when Endora first came, Samantha tried to get rid of her with a spell. I remember really liking that sequence because we hear some of the words she has to mutter during her invocations. And it's hilarious because she tries to do the same thing to both of her parents without any success. I, I, I like it's a, it's it's a bit of a performance art piece. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know what any of it means, but I like the queevy quavy English Navy part. I remember that. That's yeah. stuck in my mind. No, I love that. So Samantha says to Endora, she's describing Darren to Endora, and Endora says, oh, my poor baby, he sounds simply horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Which I also like very much. Yes, indeed. The other thing I'd like to say about Samantha is that she always makes the most witty and intelligent jokes. Darren will be going on about something, and then her little quips, I think, are just delightful. That's, that's all I have. <laughs> that's all I have. Well, that's a lot to cover for a very first episode. And we hope that you continue to join us on future installments where we'll continue following the first season of Bewitched and then venture on to various other series that we mentioned. Until next time. Yes. Until next time.
Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered is a production of the Piwacket Podcast Network. Our opening song is sung by Melissa Arning. A special thanks to Melissa for letting us use it. <laughs>